the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I'd like to start by asking you today, what, what is, how, how long is too long for you to wait for something? When you stop at a stop sign and the other person got there first and you're trying to be polite, but they're just checking their phone or something, how, how long? How long does it take till you just kind of take your turn? Or if you're trying to get online and, and the website just won't, won't it, it's, it just won't load, how, how, how many seconds do you wait? I actually did some research. The average time is between 3 to 15 seconds, and we just move on. We're done. We don't have time for this. This, in this series that we're walking through right now, we're going through the stories in the book of Judges. Last week we looked at the first complete cycle is the story of Othniel. And this cycle that we see over and over in this is that the people of God reject God. They serve idols instead. So God, for a season, says, okay, I'm not going to protect you anymore. And then they get conquered by someone. And then after a while, they finally say, enough is enough. No more. We're going to return to God again. So they return to God. He sends them a champion. The champion takes care of them. There's a period of peace. The first complete cycle of this was the guy named Othniel. He was their champion, the judge, if you will. And Othniel, um, but they didn't even pray and ask God for help for eight years. Would you wait eight years for something? Today we jump right into the story and it gets even worse. Judges chapter 3 verses 12 to 14 will be the first couple verses. I'm actually going to read most of these word for word and just kind of add some extra information because this story is just so great. It's just, it doesn't need a lot, but there's some extra information I'd love to share with you, help it come alive and apply it even more. But we're going to actually read quite a bit of this straight out of the scripture. Judges chapter 3, verse 12. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. That's a long time. A bunch of people in that section over there, that's their whole life. It's a long time. But they put up with it. Somehow or another, they put up with this. And this is stuff that's hard to put up with. Do you remember Jericho? That's Joshua fit the battle of Jericho about half a century earlier than this. This was the, the big victory. The walls came tumbling down. This was the first, we're taking over Canaan. It was where Rahab became part of the people of God and part of the line of the Messiah. It was a big deal. And it just gets handed back over to this little country called Moab. And they're okay with it for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, one thing that's fun as you read the stories, as you read throughout the scripture, one thing to notice is how few times it ever tells us how, what people look like. How tall they are, how fat or skinny they are, how attractive or unattractive they are. We, we don't see that a lot. Most of the characters that we know and love in the Bible, we have no idea what they look like. Even Jesus Christ himself, the one thing that we're told is there was nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him. He wasn't especially good looking or buff or whatever else might have attracted us to him physically. That's the only thing we know about what Jesus looked like. 
But we know a couple of people, every once in a while, we know what they look like because it matters to the story. For example, we know that both um, jo Joseph and Esther were very good looking. We know that Saul was especially good looking. Again, just because it's part of the story. So whenever, I, I share that with you because there's actually quite a few details in this one. And it's always for the same reason. It's important to the story. As you read the scriptures, you can always know God loves you no matter who you are and what you look like. He loves, he loves you, period. But if it mentions that, there's a reason. There's a reason that detail is mentioned. So there's a lot of details in this story, just a heads up. Here we go. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gerah, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long. And he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. And he brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. Okay, so now we've got several details here. Here's a left-handed guy wearing a knife under his clothes that's not where you'd expect a knife to be because most people are right-handed. And there's a really fat king. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. And so the king commanded his servants, be quiet. And he sent them all out of the room. A couple more interesting details. It tells us exactly where he turned back. As far as I know, there's only two places in the whole Bible that the stone idols at Gilgal are mentioned, and they're both in this story. You're going to hear both of those this morning. But Gilgal is a place that shows up several times in the scripture. It's an important place. It, for this era, most importantly, it was where Joshua had led the people across the Jordan River into the Canaan, into the Promised Land, into Canaan. Gilgal was the place where they had built their altar to remember that God had parted the river just like he had parted the Red Sea many years before that, that he, had, it, he was with them. Gilgal was the place where they spent quite a bit of time reconsecrating themselves to God, making sure that they were, they were pure and holy and all the other things. All the guys were circumcised. They went through a lot at Gilgal, making sure that they were ready. And then they moved on to Jericho. We already mentioned that a second ago. Gilgal was a big deal. And out in the river next to Gilgal, there was 12 stone altar under the water. And right next to the water, there were 12 uncut stones piled up in a pile to remember that every time they'd walk by there, they would remember that God can do the impossible when we trust him. But all we know here, from the only details we're given here, is that somebody had put idols up at Gilgal. And apparently for about 18 years, Ehud and everybody else had just walked on by. That was okay with them. And if you notice what we just read, he paid the tribute, even with the knife. He must have been planning something. He must have had something in his heart. Maybe I'm going to do something about this today. But he didn't. Not yet. He, he, he pays the tribute and he walks back. But there's something that happens as he walks by the stone idols at Gilgal. Something breaks in him and he goes, that's enough. No more. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. 
So he turns around and he goes back and he tells the king to send everybody out. That's where they are. There has to come a moment. If we're going to ever get anywhere with God, if we're ever going to get anywhere to help God build his kingdom on this earth, if we're going to ever get anywhere to disciple ourselves, our families, anybody we love, if we're going to get, there has to be a moment where we say, no more to evil. In fact, if you'd say these four words with me, I'd appreciate it. This is in your, your outline, your Bible study that everybody has, whether you're digital or in its paper if you're here this morning. Say these four words with me if you would. No more tolerating evil. Now, that word tolerating is complicated. I want to make sure. It could be a good thing or a bad thing. Here's how it could be a good thing. Uh, as, as God's people, we must always offer the same respect and the same freedom to other people who believe differently than we do that we expect them to extend to us. Does that make sense? We can live in the same world as people who really hate us and really disagree with us, and that's okay. If that's what you mean by tolerating evil, that's actually a good thing. But if you're saying that evil is just one more alternative truth, if you're saying that something that God calls evil is just as good as something God calls righteousness, if somehow or another we all get to make up our own truth, we get to make up our own values, and all of those are really just equal when it all comes down to it. So let's not judge anything. Let's not say what's right or wrong anymore. Let's not, then that God calls evil. And there's never going to be any moment, any real change until we say, me, myself, in my life, I am not going to tolerate evil anymore. So why do we tolerate evil? A guy named Levi Lusko says this, what you are consuming will impact how you see the world. What you are consuming will impact how you see the world. And that's true. I, I, I don't want to be legalistic or judgmental, and I, I'm probably as guilty or more so than anybody else of sometimes listening to songs or watching TV shows or movies or whatever else that maybe offend God and I don't even realize it. But the thing is, if you fill your head and your heart all the time with stuff that offends God, more than you fill it with the things that please God, or actually just getting out and doing things that please God, which thing is going to actually transform your heart the most? The thing that you feed your heart with. And if we, if we allow ourselves to join in, to laugh, at inappropriate jokes, to cheer for inappropriate plot lines, to, to applaud whatever evil is being presented to us as positive and good, and we say, hey, that's great, that's awesome, good for them, that was a really bold move on their part. It's going to change us from the inside out in a direction that's directly opposed to God. Another Shane Pruitt says, celebrate what you want to replicate. What are the things that you celebrate? What are the things you praise? What are the things that your kids or your friends or your spouse or anybody who's around you a lot, what, what did they hear you going, man, that was awesome. Did you hear about this? Man, this was great. See, those are the things that they're going to say, oh, that, that's how to please them. That's what they like. That's what they want. They're going to feed you more of that stuff. 
It's a huge temptation, actually, because we all love each other. We all love the people that we love, and we, we, we're all kind of mentally, even accidentally sometimes, taking notes on these things. But if you celebrate things that aren't good, or even things that are mediocre, instead of the things that God tells us to celebrate, little by little, our hearts shift in the direction of evil or even mediocre instead of what is good and pure and righteous. And it makes it easy for us to put up with stuff for 18 years or more that we can't really imagine putting up with if we really thought about it at all. Now, this is kind of dark. A lot of people are just kind of staring at me. This are, you, are you okay? <laughs> this is actually a really great story. Judges 3, jumping right back into it with verse 20. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose up from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. Once again, one of the reasons I'm reading so much of this straight out of the Bible this morning is I want you to know I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is gross. This is weird. This is what in the world? But this is what happened. And it's a pretty good plan. He, he, he doesn't have to dispose of the murder weapon because it's still there. And he gets out through a latrine and nobody's thinking about this. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and they found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. <laughs> I guess they were kind of used to waiting sometimes for that to happen. You know what I mean? They, 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 this, this was something that was kind of part of their rhythm. But while the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sierra. Now notice, he's passing these again. This is the only other time the stone idols at Gilgal are mentioned. Remember I told you there were just two that I know of. But notice how different things are this time. The first time he's walking away and he's just paid that tribute. He's still got that sword he had thought about using, but he hadn't used it. And he's walking away dejected. There I went. One more time. Paid that tribute. One more time. There I went. Who knows how many more years this is all going to go on. Until he sees those idols, something breaks and he turns around. This time, he's leaving. He's used the sword. He's done what God told him to do. And he knows that there's more to come. You can just imagine, it's like in almost every action movie ever, there's that one moment where the guys are, are walking along in slow motion and there's fire and stuff exploding behind them. You know what I'm talking about? And they don't even look back. That's Ehud at this moment. Okay? He's walking away. Everything's good. Watch what happens next. When he arrived at the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. And then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. And so they followed him. 
And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab. Not exactly parting the river again, but do you see a callback to that? Because it's in there. They prevented anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites. They killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day. And there was peace in the land for 80 years. One day. They'd waited 18 years and nobody had done anything. One day, one guy decides to trust God and do something about it. And turns out that king wasn't all that powerful after all. And his guards weren't all that smart. I'm being honest with you. I'm, being, I'm just being real. This is weird. Hey, what had they been waiting on? All these years, this could have happened before. One day, these guys didn't go into extra training for six months. He just says, follow me. And they go, okay. And they take out their 10,000 strongest people. Because the battle belonged to the Lord, not to them. They just finally said, no more. We're done. We're done with this. I don't know what you deal with in your life. That's just a, a constant ache. A constant burden a constant thing that you just can't escape a constant thing you just can't let go you can't conquer you can't grieve enough you can't I, I don't know I don't know what it is that you wrestle with but here's what I know if you want victory over it there can be victory but it's going to start with the first thing is you say no more if that's an evil thing if there's something in you that you're not surrendering to God if you have more than one king it starts by getting rid of that. And then the next step is to just trust God and run with it and see what happens. It's terrifying, but it's amazing. And it's available to all of us. I've got two things I'd love to share one more time. Two more idols that I think all of us, I, I, I'm being really open. These are two that I struggle with, especially this first one that I'm going to talk about, which is busyness. But these are two idols that absolutely have to get destroyed if we're going to defeat the evil that cripples us. If we're going to defeat the stuff that keeps us from accomplishing God's will. First is, no more worshiping busyness. Would you say that out loud with me and say it confidently? I need to feel the energy. I need to know that I'm not alone. Okay, let's say it. We mean it like, no more. Okay, ready? No more worshiping busyness. Now here's the thing. Pleasing everybody or trying to please everybody is an addictive thing. It's a, it's a hard thing to escape, an easy thing to get caught up in. But ironically, if we take a couple steps back, here's what you'll notice. You can't please everybody. You can't. You absolutely can't. It's an absolute no-win situation. Second thing, that if you take just a couple steps back, you remember things like where Jesus himself said that if we do things trying to please others, that's the only reward we will get. If we pray, if we give, if we do whatever else we do, trying to get the approval of other people, God doesn't reward us on top of that. Whatever approval we do or don't get, that's it. That's, that's straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. That's core teachings of Jesus. But for some reason, all of us, in one way or another, we still bow down to this idol way too much. 
and we try our best to try to please people. We try our best to try to make sure we're doing what other people consider the right things. And we just stay busy, 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 busy. And then we use that as an excuse for why we don't do the good things, the best things, the most wonderful things, the most important things. Well, I would, believe me, I would, if I just had the time, but I'm just busy. I'm I'm busy doing great stuff, or at least good stuff, or at least it's not bad stuff, but I'm busy. That's why I don't do the amazing stuff that God is telling us all we need to get done. We need to stop bowing down to the God of busyness. We need to put first things first. Lou Beretta told me the other day something that really made a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'd like to share that with you. He said, you should always do the first thing on your list. You should never do the second. And I was like, what? And what he said, he said Here, here's what you do. As you go through every day and as you go through every week and every month, every year of your life, you, you, you think about it, you pray about it. What's the most important thing? The most important thing out of all this. If only one thing got done, what's the most important thing? Do that. Get it done. Check it off the list. And then before you go on down the list, repeat. Stuff might have shifted just a little bit. Things might be a little bit different in the time it took you to get that first thing done. Maybe that took you two or three days or two or three weeks. Stuff might be a little different. Think about it again. Pray about it again. Now what's the most important thing? You follow me? You do that. Repeat. Now what's the most important thing? You never get to the second thing on your list. But I don't know about you, but I usually start out with a list that's really, really long. And if I feel like I had a good day, it's because I checked off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I went all the way down. But what if we lived like that? What if we only got the one thing done? Maybe we'd get a lot more one things. Maybe the world would be a better place. This week... I chose to back off of a couple things to prioritize some time with my wife that I had allowed to move back a whole lot. It hurt. It was hard to say no to several things. I felt bad. It was rough, but it was a blessing, and I think it was God. And in the middle of it all, one of the things that was on our list for a long time was a a, a thing called YPS. It was a really great online conference that a bunch of us attended trying to get better at what we do. And I was like, how am I possibly going to work this in and everything else? But almost every quote you're hearing today, and there's going to be a whole rash of them in a second, came from that thing. I was amazed that this is what we've been planning to talk about, planning to preach about, planning to work through for weeks now. I had no idea what was going to be discussed there, but it, it, it all fits together perfectly. When you put the first things first, God somehow makes a way. So even all the brilliant things they say, themselves and also just the fact that all of these go together with this I'd like you to worship God with me about that one of the guys was a guy named Ryan Leak might have been one of my favorite uh, actually of the whole thing I'm not sure it's hard to say but it was really good and he talked about how in every church there's always some sort of a ladder of success and some sort of carrot at the top and you can tell what that carrot is by what everybody really focuses on Every church has its own little thing. And when they say, what's your church like? Oh, we have this many people every Sunday. Because they focus on numbers. 
Or we have 17 really active discipleship groups that are just thriving. They focus on discipleship groups. Do you follow me on that? Almost everybody in our church speaks in tongues or whatever other gifts. They focus on that. Are you with me? There's always something that they say, this is our big, big one. He says, when we are climbing and chasing, what's at risk is us not being in ministry at all. And in my experience, that's true. Most of the time, God has a whole bunch of things he wants all of us to do together, not just one thing that he wants every single one of us to do every single day. We've got to keep going to him and asking him what he wants done. Drew Worsham says, when it comes to innovation, it's often the simplest way of doing things that works the best. In Ehud's story, that was true. Kurt Johnson says, what matters most are the things we can do. We can go through a list over and over and go, man, I can't do this, I can't do this. I can't do anything about the evil in my own heart or, or any of the stuff that needs done in the world because I can't do this or this or this. What matters is that we can. Ehud's a great example of that. So is the other guy. We're gonna, he's, he's only got one verse, but listen to this. It's awesome. Judges 3, verse 31. After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. You know what an ox goad is? Back then, it's, it's not the electrical ones that some farmers use today. It's just, it's just a pokey stick. <laughs> if they were lucky, it was made out of metal. That's an ox goad. 600 Philistines. If anybody could have, if anybody could have said, I just can't. I, 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 don't ask. Don't look at me. What am I going to do with an ox goad? I'll tell you what you're going to do with that ox goad. If God told you to fight the Philistines, you're going to take out 600 of them. That's what you're going to do because it's God and it's what you're supposed to do. Second or third, final big idea is this. No more worshiping comfort. Honestly, this is one of the idols that we all, we, we may not realize that that's what we're worshiping, but that's one of the things. We pretend that if we don't do anything at all, that nothing's going to change. Things are going to keep going. We think the status quo might actually be kind of a good thing. Somehow or another, this might be a good thing if we just kind of keep coasting. Here's the truth. Things are going to change no matter what. The only thing that we can do is kind of influence those changes by making choices that honor God. And here's the other thing that we see in these stories and that I see in life and I'd like to share with you as we start to wrap up this morning. I want you to realize this. This is true. You probably do. Actually, I would almost, I would almost just go out on a limb and say, you do. Have all the tools that you need already. If God's calling you to do something, it may not look like the right tool, but you probably have all you need. I bet you Ehud all his life never thought, obviously I'm going to be a champion because I'm left-handed. I guarantee you Shamgar never, when he was out poking oxen with his stick, <laughs> he's like, oh man, those Philistines better not mess with me. You probably have what you need already and you just don't realize it. And here's the thing. Our, our church comes out of a, a movement called the Restoration Movement. And if you Google us, you're, feel free, but you're, you might get a little scared. People are scared of us. 
Here's why. There's several things that we emphasize in the Bible that other people don't. I want to be very clear with you about why we do that. I want to give you a heads up because if things change around here ever, that's actually part of our plan. The whole idea of the restoration movement, and I'm going to not spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to know this. This is part of our heart. The whole idea is God wants unity. God wants the kingdom to be built. He doesn't want a bunch of little flavors of Christianity everywhere. He wants us all to work together and accomplish big things. You're with me so far? That's one of the things. The other thing is that we acknowledge that in the scripture, God always partners with people. When he created human beings at the very beginning, at creation, before the fall, before everything, he was partnering with them. There was, no, they, there was nothing that they could do to earn being created or earn this perfect world they'd been given or the perfect bodies they'd been given. There was nothing they could do. That was completely a gift from God. But from day one, he goes, and now... Let's get to work together. You guys get to help me keep creating. That was his plan before the fall. And ever since, that's always been part of his plan. And when, people, when we emphasize things like baptism, people are like, oh, 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 hold on now. We're saved by faith, not by works. That's not a work. We don't get baptized because that earns our way to heaven. We get baptized because Jesus said to baptize people when they become Christians, Period. You following me? It's just about obedience. And anywhere you see in the scripture where it celebrates that there's nothing we can do to earn it for ourselves, you still see God's dream that we partner with him. God's requirement that we partner with him. Here's one example, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's God. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Still God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Still 100% God. For we are God's masterpiece. Still God. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Still God. So that we can do the good things he planned for us. Don't miss that part. So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That was his plan all along, that we partner with him. Do you see that? But again, also don't miss this, that he planned all along. It is by faith and faith alone. But faith means you do something. If you really believe in something, you don't just keep walking by those idols day after day and dealing with it. You don't just keep putting on the strap, strapping on a knife day after day, saying one of these days I'm going to use this thing. If you have faith, you do something. You stop that bad habit. You do whatever it takes to break it and be done. You start that good one that you've been dying to start. Here's a couple last wonderful quotes that just spoke to me. I hope they speak to you. We're going to wrap this thing up. Watch how how it all fits together. I love this. Bethany Barr Phillips said, be willing to be uncomfortable. In her talk, she said that's one of the most important things you can do to get stuff done, is be willing to be uncomfortable. Dr. J. Strack says, never sacrifice your future on the altar of the immediate. In other words, never jeopardize what God could do through you now or in the future based on just trying to stay more comfortable right now. 
Ben Trueblood says every believer is meant to have an influence. We have to make sure that we are shining the right light. That's a really important one. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Here, here was the wrap-up of the thing. And honestly, if there was a second one that was my very favorite message, it was this one from Jonathan Evans, Dr. Tony Evans' son. He says, sometimes God will take away the things that you are used to because he wants to call you to new things. Sometimes God will take away things you're used to because he wants to call you to new things. Man, me and you and all of us have collectively whined an awful lot about all the things that we lost and got changed the last year or so. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to acknowledge the pain and the frustration and all of those things. But guess what? Some of that stuff probably got taken away so that we would do something different. I'm not blaming all that on God. I'm not saying this was all God's big idea. Ha ha, watch this. I'm going to make him suffer. But I am saying that God does work in all things for the good of those who love him. Do you remember that? Romans 8, 28. And I am saying that sometimes he allows some things to get taken away so that we can focus on the things he wants us to focus. Back to Ephesians. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. Again, there's that partnership. His power, his choice to partner with us, our choice to partner with him. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Do you want to see God get a lot of glory by the way our church, by you, your life? Do you want to get it, see him get a lot of glory by how we live? That was a real question. Do you want to see God get a lot of glory? I do. Well, it's going to come down to this. No more tolerating evil. And just like Jesus said, just like Jesus said, start with the plank in your own eye, not the splinters in everybody else's eye. Do you hear me? But there's got to be that moment where we go, this is enough. Enough is enough. I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to wait around anymore. I'm not going to keep hoping and praying that somebody else might do something anymore. It's time. I'm going to get this done. No more worshiping busyness. Put the first things first. And then reshuffle and do the next first thing. Stop, stop, stop. And hold me accountable. Pray for me because this is so hard for me. Stop feeling like we're successful if we can knock more things off of a list than anybody else does. Are you getting the first things done? No more worshiping comfort. God's dream for you and God's dream for me and God's dream for the world is not that we're comfortable. His dream is not that we're just so blissfully happy every day and we never get sick and everything's... That's heaven. This is a world where we're supposed to be building a kingdom and kingdom building is hard work. But it's possible when we serve the God who makes the impossible possible. That's what we're about. And this morning, as, as we make one more time of available to you to make a public choice or at least a private choice, th this is what I invite you to do. Choose to influence the change that's going to happen. When you leave here today, you're going to walk by the idols at Gilgal one way or another. Your choice this morning is going to influence how you walk by. Are you going to walk by the idols of Gilgal this morning going, man, I should have used that thing. 
Or are you going to be walking out of here like this and telling everybody else, follow me. God has given us the victory. Whatever that takes for you this morning is what I'd like you to do at the altar right now. Or right there where you are as you stand and sing.